Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Schmoofcast. You're joined here with Brett. And Kristen. And together we are the Schmoofs. We are your local Disney, Universal, SeaWorld, etc. Orlando theme park nerds. We're here to share our love of the theme parks and our nerdy knowledge with you. Yay! Welcome back. Yeah, it's been a while. Sorry about the delay. Life kind of catches up to you sometimes. Welcome to spring break in Central Florida. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's been a busy few weeks, so. Woo! But we're back, and actually we have something cool for you guys. This is actually going to be the first episode in a three-part series of attractions, attraction cues. Yeah! So this is going to be a really fun discussion, at least well, at least we think so. <laughs> at least we think it's fun. We hope you guys think this stuff is fun. Otherwise... I don't know why you're listening. <laughs> who knows, guys? So the first episode of this question we're going to pose is... How does an attraction cue affect the overall experience? So we're going to start, start at the beginning. So queuing is obviously a necessity yeah. for rides or anything like that. It's not as if, you know... Everyone can run gung-ho and just get directly on rides. So cues serve a very functional purpose. However, in the realm that is theme parks, and this is one of those big things that we've talked, we've touched on previously, the difference between a theme park and an amusement park, you will feel very heavily in the queuing experience. Absolutely. I mean, if you go to your local... Your local amusement park, if you're near a Six Flags or a Cedar Fair, those queues, we like to call them cattle herders. Yeah, you just go back and forth. There's nothing. You're There's no point. You gain nothing in the experience based on on that. Yeah, just going back and forth in the queue while you next to other people. It's like, yeah, waiting for the same ride. Here we go, guys. And that's a pretty normal thing for an amusement park. But... As we talked about, we are in Central Florida, um, the home of the theme park, which means that the storytelling has a much greater impact on experiences and on how people are meant to uh, emotionally connect even with attractions or rides or anything. Um, And so we talk about this a lot because the fact that Particularly, I mean, if you're looking at Disney, uh, if you're looking at Universal, their storytelling begins the minute you enter into a queue. So the whole point of that queue is to immerse you in whatever you're going to be doing so that by the time you get on the ride, you you have a, a feeling. You you're already a, halfway into the story. Yeah. You're, you're already in the water, you're knees deep, you're ready to jump into the waves. You're immersed. And, I mean, they're right. The storytelling begins right when you enter the gates. Like, you enter the gates of Hogwarts. You enter even the themed land that you're in. I'll be as bold as to say that the stories for um, Star Wars Rise of the Resistance and Money and Falcon Smuggler's Run, the stories begin even before you get anywhere near the attraction. The stories begin in the land itself. I mean, the land is technically used to queue for those attractions. Yeah, <laughs> so at I this guess point. that works. <laughs> But, I, the, I mean, the queues add a great storytelling aspect to just uh, the overall experience. They really do. And Disney and Universal have taken such great leaps and bounds the last few years to really tell these amazing stories in the queue that feel like they're their own their own experience before you even hit the ride. Uh, of course, the crowning jewel of the current queue experience, and we'll even fathom to say pre-show and, like, briefing room idea... 
A Rise of the Resistance. Half the experience is a queue. I have no rebuttal for that. Yeah, the, the ride itself is five minutes. <laughs> Half the experience is a queue. You just wait to go, wait to go, wait to go, wait. I, but I would say that Rise of the Resistance isn't a good queue. Besides the fact that, yes, you are... you, They tell a story, but... The physical queue part before the, f- the first ray room... Right, but that's being... where that's where we come into this balance of what is a queue and what is an attraction. So when we when I'm talking about like a queue experience, what I love about them in general, and this is why I think that Rise of the Resistance is not a good example of a good queue. Okay. Is because the queue itself essentially gives you the backstory as to what's going on so that the ride can just throw you into it. So that way like Thinking about, for example, Transformers at Universal. You enter the Nest facility, you are a recruit, and your entire process from entering that queue line up until you get on the attraction is the entire backstory of what's going on. So once you get on the ride, you are thrown immediately into action. You are thrown into this like in-depth storyline that's go, 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 go. And they don't have to worry about telling any of that story on the ride because you already got it from the queue. Rise of the Resistance, reversely, kind of has the attraction start once you get into that first screening room. The queue experience prior to that is just a bunch of caves. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. It doesn't tell a story. It doesn't enhance what's going on until you get to a pre-show, which really lends the question of, is a briefing room type pre-show part of the queuing experience or part of the attraction experience? I, it, it's a hard vice there because I would think that the pre-show video at like say Dinosaur would be part of the queue. But Flight of Passage? But Flight of Passage, I would consider that part of the overall experience. So the attraction. Yeah. And I, that's hard to say because I mean, if you talk about Dinosaur's queue outside, it's, it's pretty boring. You have the inside section, which you go through for maybe 45 seconds. Bill Nye, the science guy. But the pre-show the pre-show really seals the deal. I mean, we even go back, um, we'll say Test Track. Test Track 1.0, where you wandered through all the the car tests and the seat tests and the seatbelt tests and all this stuff happening before you even hit the pre-show. The pre-show was the defining line, but I would still consider that the queue and not the ride. But... So consider Test Track 2.0, designing your car, is that considered queue or attraction? That, that's attraction. That's absolutely attraction. Right. So you're going from a queuing experience to the attraction experience, which happens to include queue, which is a lot of what Rise of the Resistance has, where the attraction experience starts during that first briefing room, and then you kind of go through a queue process after that point, but it's still part of the attraction. Those are weird that's the weird part about a queue is that you can have all of these details, but there's this fine line of what is it, what isn't it, how can it affect... Um, or you can blend it together. Like we'll say The Mummy over <sighs> at Universal Studios. I love The Mummy's queue. I'm a, So, fun fact about Kristen, I love The Mummy <laughs> movies. <laughs> uh, they're my favorite movies, and I will watch them all the time, constantly. And I really like the attraction. But I think the Mummy's Q does a great blend to the point that 
part of it, like, obviously you're going through sets, but then you have the videos going on being like, well, it's a set, but it's real life and you're on the set. And then even on the attraction, they have like a uh, well, a set worker as part of the attraction. And it's, I, I think that that's a great It is the perfect blend. It is wonderful. And if, if you've never sat there in the first room of Revenge of the Mummy, the roller coaster at Universal Studios, sit there in the first room one day and just watch the five-minute pre-show. The it's entire great. thing. It is absolutely wonderful. And the reason we say this is a good mix is that the pre-show, the little video that's playing on that first room, is referenced at the end of the ride. Literally, when Brendan Fraser says, I would love to do this interview a lot more if I had gotten my cup of coffee... He asked for the cup of coffee in the pre-show, guys. Yeah, he asked for the coffee, the coffee, and um, they won't give it to him because he doesn't have the magi around his neck. He doesn't have a magi. He charm doesn't have necklace. the yeah the the symbol of uh, the magi, which is funny because yeah, but, uh, storytelling. Storytelling. <laughs> no, but that's the other great thing is so it references the cue at the like it referenced that moment at the end of the attraction, but as soon as you go in, you are incredibly immersed with the mummy in the sets. There's really not a, like, it just tells you you're on a movie set, weird things are happening, and this is the basis. You don't even have to have ever seen the mummy movies to understand kind of what's going on by the time you get on the ride. Like, I think that's great. I think that's a great storytelling of the queue that you have this feeling that you have this immersion and they do a really great job of making it just a little creepy. So when you get on this attraction, like obviously it's a roller coaster and it is, it is creepy. It's meant to be a bit scary. And they really set that up well in the queue where you get this kind of dark and dank and creepy noises and bugs skittering. And it feels like you're in an Egyptian tomb. It really does. Yeah. So they use that that storytelling aspect and they use all of that cue because obviously they need a lot of it. It is, it is a big attraction for them. Mm-hmm. But it's such a great way to do it. I love that they, that a lot of these companies, as they're making these kind of extended efforts, um, that they do use that storytelling. Because it, it, in my opinion, it highly impacts the experience of the ride. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think of things like looking at Mako at SeaWorld. They, uh, huh. it's, it's one of those attractions where the queue itself has very little theming. Um, there is a lot of educational bits that happen in the queue for Mako, but there is no, nothing else. No, they kind of go on, there's a little video showing like, oh, the, the roller coaster is meant to simulate the Mako sharks mating or it attacking prey. It, there's a little video that appears, yeah. Oh. Or the, like it, I always they t- thought they. I always thought they talked about migrating. Oh, migrating, not mating. My bad. <laughs> My bad. The other, the other M word, the other important M word for the dolphin, or not dolphin, shark. Wow. Oh boy. <laughs> Good job, Brett. Wow. Yeah. No, they they discuss you know how fast the shark can go, and they're like, you're gonna board this to see how fast the shark can go, and it's like, all right. But it, it's a roller coaster. It's like there's no theming at there's, all. There's none. And it's not, there's no theming in the queue. There's no theming on the ride. Well, that's not true. They're, uh, they're load experience and the push off with all the sharks. Yeah. Like swimming out. That's fun. And that is themed. Um, but it's, it's just enough to make you feel like you're in Orlando 
and you're not in the middle of, say, New Jersey. I guess. I don't know what I'm trying to say there. I don't know what theme park is in the middle of New Jersey, so. Great Adventure, Six Flags. We're going to go there this year. Maybe. Yeah, we'll see. They're opening up a new roller coaster, Jersey Devil, which is an RMC Raptor single rail, which, of course, nobody knows what that means. We'll get into it at a different time. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) All right, so what are some other good cues? Because I'm sure everybody listening is like, oh, I love this cue, I love that cue. Like, personally... I think one of my favorite cues of all time. It's a big title. I know, right? Is uh, Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. <laughs> and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hound on this one. Pre plexiglass. Pre plexiglass, yeah. So I mean, everybody's like, oh, you, you just wander through the forest and you, you see the gems and you you can touch the gems and spin the gem buckets and you know sort gems through the washboard and all that. And it's like I get that, but that's not really the cue portion I'm talking about. I'm talking about one specific portion of the cue. And I think I wrote about this a while ago, or I've gone off on Twitter off on a certain point. You go off about this particular thing over and over and over again constantly. I'm gonna put it. I'm gonna put it to. I'm gonna pronounce it and say it out loud instead of writing it. I was gonna say verbiage it, but I don't think that's a word. Nope. Okay. Cool. Awesome. So anyway, the verbalize. <laughs> verbalize. There we go. So the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train Q. You actually you pass uh, Snow White's cottage. Well, I guess it's. The Seven Dwarfs Cottage. It's not her cottage. She just no. ends up there. But as breaking you, entering. Breaking in, yeah. She starts cleaning things of all things to do. It's not like a you know, Goldilocks and the Three Bears situation to get some porridge. She's like, oh, I'm gonna sweep the floor in here. This is a mess. So you pass the you pass the, the Seven Dwarfs house. And as you see, as you're entering the queue, you see it's a it's a vacant house. You might be able to hear some music in the background, but you know, it's a vacant house. As you ride the ride. And towards the end of the ride, you see it in a different light. You see that actually Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs are inside and dancing. And as you pass it to go to unload, you see the Evil Queen is outside the window. So that as you are leaving the attraction, you're seeing the same house. The house hasn't moved. Nothing's changed to it. But you're now seeing it in a much different light because, I mean, you've seen Snow White. You know how the story progresses from here. She's going to take a bite of the apple probably much moments after you leave the attraction. So it's the same set piece, just in different light, as you physically move through the time progression of the storyline. And I guess that might not be my favorite cue, but it's my favorite cue set piece. I'll say that. I think that there's a lot of really positive pieces in the cue for Seven Dwarfs. Um, because of the fact that it is something that they made extremely interactive. Um, so as you're, you're, you see the cottage, you go further into the forest, and then you're reaching the mine, and you have the different aspects of, of what would, you know, mining, uh, whether that's shifting or sifting, that's the word. Yeah, sifting through. Um, through dirt and things like that to find your gems and everything, to, I think one of my favorite interactive pieces of that queue is the gem buckets, because of the fact that it actually, if you are working with other people in queue, because you obviously can't do it by yourself, but you get all of them going at the same time. There's all seven buckets, one for each of the Correct. Dwarfs. There's seven buckets for each of the doors, and if you get all seven of them spinning at the same time, then Snow White will appear. And I think that that's such a fun piece that it's not everyone would see it. Because of the fact that you, you very rarely would interact with the other people in line being like, spin them all together, spin them all together. Well, especially nowadays. I ain't talking to anybody. Get away from me. Correct. But yeah, so there's there's a lot of smaller aspects in that. Um, other ones, 
that are in that queue specifically that are kind of hidden gems is that the names of the dwarves are like carved into the wood throughout the mine section. Yeah. So you can find them. And there's just, there's a whole bunch of little fun things in that particular queue and on that attraction that have a lot of detail in them. I don't know if they enhance the story, but it definitely, I mean, there's not a lot of story to enhance with that one. It's a very small chunk of time within that original storyline that you're having the op- or the opportunity to experience. So there's not a lot they can do with that. Um, but I think it does a great job of, of adding in those little details mm-hmm. as you go through. Let me throw another curveball at you with, oh, a, with a cue. Men in Black Alien Attack. Do right and doofus? Well, not do right and doofus, but you, you queue outside, and then as you enter, you, you're in the little pre-show area, because it's disguised as a World's Fair attraction. It's not disguised as a men in black training atmosphere, or training recruitment ground. So you enter, and then, oh, sorry, it's actually just, you know, it's fake. Come on in. You jo- join an elevator, and the elevator takes you down to the men in black training center. Mm-hmm. Would that be considered the queue? Because there's queue after that pre-show. Or that be part of the overall experience, you think? I consider that cue. I consider that cue because of the fact that it doesn't... I mean, yes, we can all tote on the fact that it's themed to a World's Fair and you don't know. That's only true if you didn't see the giant sign outside. (laughs) So it's not as if it's a real surprise to anyone that's entering that line that, ooh, they're at Men in Black headquarters. So I wouldn't say that that changes anything or i wouldn't say that it's part of the attraction i think that one is a very cut and dry of what is q and everything leading up to getting on that vehicle is q (laughs) so i know we've never been to tokyo as well but tokyo disney sea with journey to the center of the earth has a big long q and then you join you enter the terravators which simulate taking you down way down to the center of the earth then you exit and have a bit more q before you join the attraction now, I would consider that probably part of the actual experience. Because I think once you start descending to the center of the earth, quote, unquote, that's part of the ride. I would agree. Mm-hmm. So there's a fine line there. Like, even with a... Oh, what's the... Diagon, Harry Potter, Dragon... Gringotts. Escape from Gringotts, that's it. The bank... The, it's Harry Potter and the Escape from Gringotts. I personally think that the Q elevator... That's your favorite part of the ride. It is. If I can do that and then leave, I'd be so happy. <laughs> no, I would agree. I would agree that that's where your attraction experience begins. And I think that there's a funny bit to all of this that a lot of the portions where we say that that's where the attraction begins, that's where you get your safety spiel. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. the queuing is after that bit. So that would be like, you get your safety spiel now. So the rest, from here on out, you're just on the ride. Obviously, you still have to enter queue, but that that's kind of an interesting idea as well. Of you know, is is that the marker? If you get your safety spiel, does that mean you're, you're part of the attraction experience? Uh, and then you'll take a look at like Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure, the mouthful of a attraction name that is, and you Hagrid and Fang and uh, Arthur Weasley mm-hmm. are in the pre-show right when you enter the castle upstairs, and there are still three, four miles of queue after that. But then you have another pre-show that happens above you, whether on the motorbikes, literally right before you board. Mm-hmm. And I'd consider that the start of the attraction, not the first pre-show. I would agree with that. Yeah. 
So even, so I know somebody's going to be like, well, you guys are just mentioning all the newer stuff, the right starts at the pre-show. It's like, no, no, no. Like, there is a defined line between an actual pre-show and an actual just cue. But that's that's the question. That's the really interesting bit about it is there's really no right formula for this, right? We can we can debate cues all day long. Um, and believe me, we have because we are those people. <laughs> um, we, we've been discussing this podcast idea for a few weeks now. So we've bounced a lot off each other. I really like cues. I really enjoy queuing experiences that are well put together, that make sense. Um, so what's a bad queue? I <laughs> I hate the queue for Small World. <laughs> Before or after plexiglass? Or just in general? In general. I, I hate that you need to walk across the lagoon and then walk down the waterway and it's just... Ugh, I it, just... Yeah, no. I don't like it. I don't like it. Considering... Every other cue that Disney usually does, I just don't like it. I don't like it. Great, you get to see the boats, but it's not impressive. It's not interesting. I think Enchanted Tales with Belle, that cue is absolutely horrendous. You, yeah, it's, but it's all outside. It's all outside. That's yeah. the entire point of the attraction. <laughs> is that you're oh, waiting to yeah, go you're waiting into to... Belle's cottage and then you get transferred into this other time that is literally the point of the attraction so the attraction's a queue i mean technically i just wait for it to end so i guess it is a queue the mirror is part of the attraction yeah you just don't like show things i don't like hey you're you're a nice tall looking dude you want to be this the knight in armor no i'm i'm good sitting here Leave me alone. <laughs> I just came to see the mirror go wee. That's it. I can leave now and be happy. All I wanted. Back you, off. You see, as much as we, we talk about like cattle herders or bad cues, I would fathom to say that Space Mountain's cue, even if it is from the 70s and there's a little bit of that cattle herders up towards actual load, I think the actual total walkway up to the load area is remarkable. It's mm. a wonderful cue. But then it, it goes on and on and yeah. on and on. It's, it's up and down and through multiple elevations and this and that. It's so weird. It doesn't make any sense. But not just that. They use such great effects. Like, A, they've got the light boards, which is great. They have the games, which is games also are gone. great. Games have been gone forever. I'm, okay. Rest in peace. I wouldn't touch them before COVID. So pre, post-COVID. <laughs> Who knows, guys? But even where you have, like, the... I don't even know how to describe the effects. The concave windows? Yeah. The reflecting, one. the physical objects? and Yeah. Um, as you walk by, it's kind of like warped out, like you're in space. It's awesome. Things like the the speeder just going by, the windows on the side. There's so much in that. And even in the cattle herder section, I mean, you've got on top of you, you literally have like a spaceport yeah, viewing. It looks like you're in space. So I think that there is a lot of really... I and mean, the fun thing about Space Mountain is there's literally no story of any kind. You're just... Space Rocket goes zoom. <laughs> yeah. But they do a great job of really showing you it's not just space. It is literally... Like, it's not just as if, like, all right, we're going to chuck you out into space. You have, you pass star charts. You pass all of these things that really make it feel like, oh... This seems legit. Yeah, we're going, we're going to space. Not just, we go space. We go zoom. Uh, another cue I hate. 
is Journey to Imagination, the current queue. Oh. I just, I don't, it, it feels just like a, it's so. It feels straight out of the 90s. It, it does. It's so, so, I don't know if that's, if the reason you don't like it is because of the era in which it was made. I don't know if that's a good reason. Would you consider a good cue still to be a good cue if people don't understand it? Or understand the intricacies as to why the cue was designed that way? I mean, I get the references, so... Bad cue, mission space. It's it's all cattle herders, and there's a lot to look at. It's like, oh, cool, real stuff. Don't they have space. like the big? The it big doesn't spin anymore. Simulator. Thing they do, though? but it doesn't spin. It's just there. Oh. Yeah. I haven't done mission space in an extremely long time. Literally, the last time I did it was when they changed over the green. Oh, to the new green team. To the new green team because I ha- I wanted to see what that was. I have not done it since, and I do not have a very good memory. I remember you end up in a net. Huh? At the end of the green team. Oh, I yeah. don't. I don't even remember <laughs> the experience. Okay, I don't. Let alone the queue. What is there anything at studios that we consider a bad queue? <laughs> I mean, personally, <laughs> Rise of the Resistance. Okay, moving forward. No, 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 not just Rise of the Resistance. I severely dislike the Toy Story Land queues. Severely, Slinky Dog's queue. Total trash. Oh, yeah, it's garbage. Total trash. The best part of it is you can see the slinky frog on the side of the slinky dog box. That makes you very, very interested every time. You're like, where can I find one of these? I mean, currently they're like $80 on eBay, which is a little too much. A little? A lot of too much. A lot. Good good call. Slinky frog will never come home. Nope. Uh, The Midway Mania queue is... It's bad. It is. It is what it always has been. Yeah. And the Aliens for Link Saucers queue is also pretty bad. <laughs> they're just, they're very dry but they, examples of what could be done. They rely very heavily, not Mania, obviously, because it's indoors. But for the two outdoor attractions, they rely very heavily on being able to visualize what the attraction is from the queue. That is the entertainment that you get from the queue experience, is being able to see the attraction go whizzing by or to see the aliens as they're kind of going about in their circles. There is no story in that. No, it's there's really literally, not. Like, honestly, if you didn't tell me that the back of the load area for Slinky Dog was how Andy, Bonnie, whoever's backyard it is, I'm not getting into that discussion with you. <laughs> that that's the roller coaster that he made, and like that's what you're about to go on. Is these are the blueprints of what the kid dreamed up for what this roller coaster could be. If I didn't know that, it wouldn't make any sense to me as to why there is a roller coaster in this backyard that is about the size of a toothpick. Compared to the shoe prints. So we agree it's garbage. What? Toy Story Land. We've agreed on that prior. Gotcha. Excellent. I am not a big fan of Toy Story Land, guys. I can't help it. I had so many hopes and aspirations for that land, most of which included shade, (laughs) uh, that I just, don't get me wrong, I enjoy the attractions. I enjoy doing them. I cannot fathom uh, getting in line at the Little Mermaid show 
and saying, oh, this is fine. Slinky Dog and thinking that that's a good day. So that's a personal thing. I think a lot of people really enjoy those attractions and I can still kick butt on Mania. But yeah, I just, I don't feel like they have great queuing, which is very sad because they're very recent additions to the Disney, the Disney queue envelope, if you will. I don't know. It's wild to think that the same company who built Toy Story Land is the same company that built Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> it's weird to me that the same company that could build those is the ones who built Pandora. Yeah. Pandora is I love Pandora. Ooh, this is a great question. Mm-hmm. All right. Flight of Passage. Q. Mm-hmm. So we agree that their pre-show is kind of more of the attraction. Yes. Um their how does their Q experience tell a story? Oh, okay. So for groundwork, I'm going to assume everybody who is listening to this has not ridden Flight of Passage before, but understands Avatar lore, or has seen the movie. We'll say has seen the movie. Does that sound right? I will clarify as we go on, okay. because gotcha. so I don't the, know what you mean. So the Flight of Passage queue. So we're in the Valley of Moara on the planet, or I'm sorry, on the moon of Pandora. In the whatever solar system it's all at, whatever the... Whatever happens. No one here. cares that much. It's 50 years after the last war and the Avatar movie franchise, which may or may not have happened already. We don't know what's happening in the sequels. So things are decaying. There's crashed helicopters, there's crashed ATVs around. Nature is reclaiming. You are entering the cave system outside of Flight of Passage. And the cave system has all of these ancient Navi finger paintings and drawings and just kind of like how we have cavemen art around some of the oldest caves in Americas and stuff, this is the same kind of idea that, you know, this is what the old ancient Navi, this is what they left behind. So you see this, and then you turn a corner, and all of a sudden there's a gigantic drill hole through the wall. So the RDA, which was the evil bad military company in the movie, they were obviously destroying the land here. They didn't care, which that was the entire point of the movie, that they were evil bad guys. So... They're destroying the land. They're destroying this ancient area. And you keep walking in and you find one of their uh, their old bases. That was, it's te- you're outside technically and nature is reclaiming itself. It's a bioluminescent forest that is reclaiming the area that the RDA once destroyed. And it's doing a good job. It's doing a really good job. You wander through that for a bit more of the queue. And then you approach an old RDA lab that the Pandora Conservation Initiative has taken over which is a really awesome area, and it totally separates from where nature is reclaiming it to where they have refurbished and reutilized and revitalized what they what the um, RDA has left behind. So instead of building new and destroying more, they're reusing what was already there. The Avatar program. The Avatar program. The link chambers, the link chairs. And that is... That's the cue in a nutshell. It's a, it, it is. It's a story in itself. One of my favorite details of that is that when you're in the lab, if you ever go through the queue anytime soon or in the next year or so, if you remember to look for this, when you're in the lab, if you look to the right, there's a glass window that separates the inside of the lab from the outside where nature is reclaiming it. If you look on the windowsill, on the bottom of the window, everything in the lab is clean. Everything on the outside has been water damaged, like aged through the years. And it's just that little bit of detail that Disney thought about doing to make this look authentic and real. It's super awesome. I love that queue. Do you think Flight of Passage would be as interesting 
if it did not have that queue experience. I think Flight of Passage is a boring experience if you just fast pass it. Solid. I think that's the power of queues. Mm -hmm. If you if you were to go on something and be, you know what, if I didn't experience the queue, it would completely change my perception of the attraction. Yes. But, I mean, there's a lot of attractions where you need the queue. You do need the queue space. The Amazing Adventures of Spider-Man. Example A, right there. Boom. You need mm -hmm. the queue. The queue video goes into detail about what's happening at the office and something's going on in uh, it's New York City. Mm -hmm. New York City, but yeah, because it's the Statue of Liberty. Of course it's New York City. I was thinking San Francisco for a second. <laughs> I don't know why. My mind's on Fast okay, and the Furious. Okay, Spider-Man fan. I'm not a Spider-Man fan. More of the ride. Don't even give me that crap. It is an amazing ride. It's one of my favorite rides. But the the Q videos, the pre-show videos, is all done in the old '90s Marvel animation style, and it is wonderful. But if you don't watch that pre-show video as you're walking through, you don't get the story of what's going on, because at a certain point, like right in the beginning of the ride, you, the Statue of Liberty's head is above you, and you're like, "What is going on?" But if you watch the pre-show video, if you went through the pre-show. You would know that the Sinister Syndicate is loose, and they stole the Statue of Liberty. Which... I actually think that's a great example of uh, the actual queue and their express queue being able to mirror that same thing pretty well. I mean, you get the you get a few scenes in the express queue that you don't see in the regular queue. You get to go through the uh, the photo processing room, the black room, dark room, the dark room, mm -hmm. yeah, and the file filing. But I'm talking about like. That that story is communicated. It's communicated in both ways. Both of so you... those cues, which is sometimes hard. Mm -hmm. For example, if you're like we talk about flight of passage, if you're using the fast pass queue for that, you don't get any of that extra bits. Nope. You literally are just kind of walking into that briefing room pre-show with no kind of background. Um, but if you do like the fast pass for Navi River Journey. You ain't missing much mm -mm. at all. If you do fast pass for uh, Expedition Everest, I would say you're probably missing enough of the story, but they moved uh, some of the uh, the Yeti Museum artifacts outside, so you still get a blast of the story quick. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think what else would, like, the fast pass just negate the entire huge storytelling experience. Mine train. Mine train, yeah. Boom. You're just gone by immediately. You'll still see my beloved cottage, but that's it. Uh, there's a lot. Mermaid. Mermaid. Peter Pan. P yeah. Peter Pan is another big one. There's a lot of attractions that the expedited cubing experience definitely takes away from the overall storytelling. And I think it does affect kind of the overall way that you view those attractions. Um but I love that. I love that there is such power in the storytelling before you even get on a ride. It's not even the exciting bit. Well, I remember when uh, my sister Mari first came down, right when Test Track 2.0 first opened. Back when we were all obsessed with designing and building our own car. And I told her, I'm like, I know the queue is an hour long, but if we do Fast Pass or Single Rider, you don't get to design your own car. And I know people are going to say, oh, you can design your own car with Fast Pass. What are you talking about? That's not how it was originally. Nope. You got to pick one of six models and that was it. Yep. So we waited in standby to design our own car because I felt that that was the experience. Mm -hmm. It's not just getting on the ride and go oh, zoom, zoom. No. Designing <laughs> your car was the test track experience. So I remember waiting with her. 
I would say that's still a very strong part of, of Test Track. The nice thing is now you you can design yeah. fast pass. But no, previously you you kind of skipped that whole that whole chamber. So now when you go through or when Fast Pass was available, um, just before shutdown, you would be able to enter the Fast Pass queue, kind of cut through the major front bit of the line, and then just merge, if you will. Their merge point was at the you guys are going into designed cars. When it first reopened as Test Track 2.0, um, you will see that their single rider monitors now, mm-hmm. uh, but that was where the fast pass queue was, and that's where it, like you couldn't build a car. But the nice thing about that was that the merge point was after everyone else had designed cars. So it was truly a fast pass. Like there were points because you were still waiting for people to get out of the designing your car. The fast pass would chug along. Like single yeah. rider would just be like, everybody go, 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 go. Yeah. So you you'd fill up, or you'd be able to move through that experience very quickly. But you did miss a large part of what was the draw for the the reopening and the reimagining of that attraction, which is very interesting. Yeah. I'm trying to think of some other cues that I really enjoy or like cues that make the experience or that are experiences of themselves. Like I think Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey. Oh, I so I don't think that this is fair. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> Forbidden Journey's cue is an attraction in and of itself. And I will hold to this because of the fact that um, it's now used for express queue. Uh, but previously, before they allowed express pass at Forbidden Journey, which was quite a while, like it didn't open with it or anything like that. It was years, yeah. You used to be able to ask to just tour the castle. And they had a part of the queue that literally you could just walk through, not ride the ride. Or anything like that. But you could just go to just go, ooh, ah, look at all the things. And it's its own separate extra portrait gallery with uh, Godric Gryffindor and Salazar Slytherin and other, the four housemen. Helga Hufflepuff and Rowena Ravenclaw. I had no idea their name, so that was awesome. You're welcome. But it's an entire second room that they built with these characters in it. Because you don't go to the same one in the regular queue. The regular queue is its own separate version. This is its, mm-hmm. a new one. They built four this tour, so they knew, they knew ahead of time it'd be this popular, it'd be its own, its own experience. But honestly, the only thing you miss on the on the tour, um, or if you want to call it the the express queue lane now, is literally just the outside greenhouses. Well, you miss the mirror of Irised, that's downstairs in the dungeon. Oh yeah, you don't go through you don't go through the dungeon, so you miss mm. the potions classes. You don't see the. Uh, the Hogwarts statue of Godric Gryffindor, right when you enter upstairs past the greenhouse. Is that who that is? I think so, because he has like he has a snake around him and the lion and the badger and stuff on him, or whatever the name Hogwarts came from. I have no idea. I don't know what it is. But they also have, I, I mean, some. We're bad Harry Potter fans. I know. I'm not the biggest Harry Potter fan. They have all the uh, the house cup. Oh, yeah, the house points. The house points. You get to see the big uh, golden bird, the phoenix, that's Dumbledore's office. Yes, Dumbledore's office. Like, there's a lot of cool props that are like, oh, that's right from the movie. Holy. Like, you see that in the queue. You don't really see that in the tour or the express This is how you can tell that I just on express recently. I've forgotten about all these things. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I haven't seen that in a while. I'd love to go see that. And I'm looking at it being like, I don't want to wait in the queue. Spring break is not the time for us to be remembering that we like to go through... 
actual key lines. It's almost over. Almost. <laughs> and then we go into summer. That's not any better. I'm very curious about summer. This is a discussion for another time, but spring break crowds have been very interesting. And I know we had just had a podcast on, you know, COVID and changes and stuff, but uh, we're going to revisit that topic with crowds and what we've seen. Because it's been interesting. Honestly, it feels busy. I know it's not busy. I know in the brain that it's not anywhere near what we would generally see. But it's probably just compared to what we've had since reopening. It seems like it's very busy. It's been slammeroonied. But yes, that's a great topic for another time. But I think I think that we've covered a lot yeah. of the big points. I'd love to hear what some of your favorite cues are. I would love to hear kind of why you like them. What are What's a cue you hate? That's another great point. I think that there's so many different realms that these these cues fall in, whether it's uh, immersive storytelling, whether it's just backstory fill, whether it's just detailing. Um, there's so many great bits, and there's there's also ones that just truly miss the mark. If anybody comments Wild Arctic, I'm going to block you right immediately. It's going to happen. You don't touch Wild Arctic in this house. Gross. We're just do, gross. We'll do an entire podcast episode on Wild Arctic. No. And the intricacies of that wonderful attraction. No. Okay. <laughs> Please? No. 100% no. <sighs> Alright, so this wraps up the discussion on cues. Coming soon, you're going to get a discussion on attraction exits. And what closes things off nicely and what just drops you on your face. Yep. Another thing we're going to circle back and then, you know, talk about what the overall best attraction experiences are out there. At least in our opinions. Yeah. So that's coming soon. But that wraps it up for cues. Make sure to follow us on uh, socials at the Schmoofs or follow Brett on Twitter at Schmoofy for some seriously weird content. Yeah, it's, it's been weird recently. I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> uh, but thanks for joining us, friends. Cool. Then signing off for the night. This is going to be Brent. And Kristen. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.